Happy Palm Sunday. I know it's 9 o'clock in the morning and everyone's, oh, and I got the kids with me. You know, uh, I grew up in a Lutheran church and pews, in fact, I had nightmares about pews because of the fact that um, I had to learn how to behave in pews. Um, they had pencils and stuff, used to write on the cards and everything, and then uh, when I didn't act right, my mother would uh, pop me. And then I had to sit down, and then I stand up, she popped me again. And then they would say, say hallelujah. And I'll say hallelujah. And then if I didn't sit, if I didn't sit down, I got popped. So I used to call it hallelujah pop church. So that's where I learned how to do that. So I said, okay. So pews, when I came in, the pews, I said, oh, I got this little thing about pews. But I grew up. But it's, it's a Sunday. It's a great Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. I'm excited. This is the week before Easter. And um, we get back in our building, praise God, we're hoping. And uh, we're really excited. But Palm Sunday is an amazing Sunday. It's about the triumph king, Jesus coming in. After three years of ministry, he's coming to the end of his journey. He's coming to the end, to the, to the purpose of why he came. 30 years on earth, three years in ministry, why he came. He's coming in into Jerusalem, and I've been there. Jesus is going to come into his, uh, to the fullness of his mission. And we get to celebrate that today, the fullness of Jesus' mission. And it's such a story we're going to read about today, about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. It's such an amazing story in all the Gospels. They have it. They have it in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19. And what is it? They celebrate about the Passover and the festival that was coming. He's about to go into Jerusalem. He's about to give his life. He's about to lay down his life for our freedom. How many know excited about that? One of the most exciting parts of the Easter celebration, our freedom, and his determination to go and give his life so we may have life, which is amazing. And I don't want us to lose purpose in that, lose out why we are here and why we celebrate Easter. It's not about Easter egg hunt. It's about really realizing how much our King of Kings and Lord of Lords loved us so much that he gave his life that we may have life. So when you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the story we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at in the version of chapter uh, John, in the book of John, chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. John 12, 12 through 19. It's an amazing passage, and we're going to unpack this today. I don't have a name for it except Palm Sunday because I couldn't create a name. It's just an amazing um, story. If you have it, it says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. You want to circle that. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on, just as it was written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey colt. And what they did, they did Zechariah 9.9, a prophecy. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gain we are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that our hearts be wide open to the gospel. 
wide open to the most loving, amazing, loving love story on the planet. That our Lord and Savior on a mission, starting into the, the most intense week of his life for us. So we thank you and we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you're anybody like me, or if you know this week, how many know there's a special day that's coming up this week? April 25th. What is happening on April 25th? Anybody recognize it? April 25th, Marvel movie. The Avengers Endgame premieres in Abilene, Texas. And everyone's going to flock out all night, stay all night waiting to go see this movie. He's going to go see the Avengers. Want to see the conclusion of the end game. And I've been hearing about all the crowds going to get there early in the morning and stay all night waiting for to see the end game. And each one's going to show up with their own expectation about how the movie is or is not. They're going to show up waiting to see this remarkable movie. And some of y'all are afraid to say it because you're in church. And they're going to run. They're going to get off work. They're going to buy tickets. Tickets are selling off the charts offline. They can't wait to see the Marvel Endgame. And this is exactly the fervor that we're reading about. Our king is coming. Got to get off work. There's a festival. This place, Jerusalem, is usually about 50,000 people. Now it's grown over 250,000 people for a Passover celebration. And they're getting off, and they're in the streets. They cannot wait to see the king show up. The king who's going to set us free. The king who's going to do amazing things. And the excitement is amazing. It's like when, when I guess when Cheddar's opened up, everyone was parked outside just to get the good food. They were waiting for the king. The same excitement that they had. Here's the thing. Everyone will have different expectations on what they see. But they all have the same intention to go seeing. And Easter has become this. Well, it's not really come this. It's become in America about egg hunts. About, and there's nothing wrong with that unless we're going to evangelize about time off with the family. It's not about that. It's about the king coming to see a triumphant, victorious king. And this is what they would do when a victorious king came down the road. I've been down that road. Looks just like this. You got his head down and he's riding on a donkey. Here's the questions we're going to answer today. Does your celebration of Jesus contain mixed motives? Do you use Jesus to fuel your own dreams? Or do you take up his name to attach it to your own agendas? How about this one? Are your prayers about what you desire versus what God desires? All these we're going to answer because the king is coming. And the people that we're going to talk about had the crowd, we had the disciples, and we had the Pharisees. They all had different reactions, but the same expectations of what this king was going to do. 
if you look at it, the disciples, everyone was waiting for Jesus because he was going to be that national liberator. They were under Roman oppression, and they were waiting for the king to set them free. The way they thought he should set them free. But he didn't do it the way they expected. The disciples, let's look at some of the reactions. The disciples, when they heard that Jesus was going to lay down his life and he was going to um, take power back, they said this, basically, we're all, we want power. We want authority. They sent their own mother. A couple of them sent their own mother to him after he told me he's going to die. Hey, guess what? Um, this is for my son. Can, can my son sit on your left and can my son sit on your right? And then they said the other disciples got mad because they were asking that question. But one of the writers said they were mad because they didn't think of that question. So when the king was going to show up, they said, hey, we want power along with you. We want to sit with you when you come into your kingdom here on earth. And we want this authority that you have. Second thing is the crowd. The crowd want a relief. They want relief because they've been oppressed by the Romans so much. They wanted a king to come and take the load off them. You know how we are today. We want the government to take the load off us. Right? Want relief. The king is coming to relieve me. It's amazing. Then you had the Pharisees who were worried about popularity and position. You heard what they said. They're following him. We're not going to be, no one's coming to our houses anymore. They're all going to follow after him. They wanted power and they wanted position. Now, all these things I'm showing you, these motivators, these motives can reside in each and every one of our hearts. Because who is a king to you? Is he a king of relief? Is he a king of position? Is he a king of opportunity? See, you got to remember, what was your expectations? And what are your expectations of Jesus Christ today? Here's the thing. Our expectations drive our motives. Our expectations drive our motives. Think about it. What you expect, that's what you drive for. If you're driving for position, you'll go, and that's your motivation is position because you expect to get position after the fact of whatever you do. Our expectations drive our motives. Now, in our age of entitlement, in society today, that's everything. Because everything defaults. You remember it like this, and I'm convicted by it. You know, everything defaults back to me. My position, my time, my money, my career, my, my, it all defaults back to me. It's amazing. And I'm the main motivation of life. You ever notice that? When in a church or in society, when you ask someone, hey, can you, well, let me check and see if I have the time. My time is very, I used to hear this, my time is very valuable. You ever hear that? You ever say that? When it came to serving other people? My time is very valuable. Really? You wouldn't have time if you didn't, the king didn't show up. Make sense? Y'all got to say something because, you know, I'm convicted already. That's why I'm screaming at you. It's fine. 
But here's the thing. In society, the king, many people, since we're in the age of entitlement, many people ex are expecting relief, not the relationship. Because relationships cost. Relief is, doesn't cost anything except someone giving you something. Now, these folks were coming. He was coming down. And they were expecting amazing things for them. And, and in verse 13, you say they was, it says they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now, here's the thing about it. In Luke 19, 37, the same story, it says it was disciples with a loud voice crying out, Psalms 118, 25 to 27, Hosanna, Hosanna. And basically what they were saying is, save us now. That's what it means. Save us now. Save us out of this, out of this oppression. Save us now. Save us. Work for us. Serve our cause. I sound like that sometimes. Save me. Work for me. Serve my cause, Jesus, please. And they were praising with impure motives. Now I realize with me, depending on answered prayer, is how, long, how big my praise is. If I don't feel I have answered prayer, you're not going to get much of a word from me. I'm going to go back and study and, and pray more versus praise them when I don't have answered prayer. And I also notice when I build my life around me and what I want, my house and my everything else, I make such a small package. And they were expecting. And Jesus knew their motives. Because the same motive he had in John chapter 6, verse 15, after he fed over 5,000 people, it said this, that they wanted to take him um, by force to being king then. So he had to leave. Because they wanted to take him now to be king. Since you fed 5,000, you can do everything for us. So we're going to take you now by force. And he had to leave. Because their expectation was, I want a king that does everything for me and I don't have to do anything. Oh, I have to do the minimum, he does the maximum, and I'm good. That's it. Versus the reverse, I should do everything in an attitude of gratitude. Now, the king writing in on verse 14, the triumph king. Now, when kings would come in those days, they would come in the best chariots. They would come in the best uh, machines. And the chariots meant war. They're going to declare war on the Romans, and we're going to win. He shows up on a donkey, which is Zechariah 9.9. And here's the thing about that. Donkey represents humility. The donkey represents peace. Not a chariot of war, a beast of burden and peace. They were expecting a chariot of war to destroy everything in their path. You ever pray like that? God, change that person. Change this for I can have a better life. And God's really saying, it's not about them changing you, me. I mean them. It's about changing you. The expectation. See, his gift was a gift of life, not a conquest. Now, here's the thing about the throne of God in this passage. 
the throne. They thought he was going to go on the throne of Israel and he's going to rule and reign over their lives and tell them exactly what they're going to do and they'll do it, but they wouldn't do anyway. His throne was the cross. His throne was the cross. Now, this is a little hard today, but how much, how much have you really thought about this season of life beyond what you want? Because you know when we get industrious, we get whatever we want. But how much are you really thinking about how much Jesus wants us to be free to help others be free? How much have really gotten westernized that church has become um, gimme, gimme, deliver, deliver. I do minimum so I can get the maximum output. When you pray, God, please give me this. And that's it. See, Jesus entered the heart of Jerusalem to bring salvation and rulership, just like he entered your heart to bring salvation and lordship. He entered their heart. They entered the city. That's where he walked into the city to bring salvation and lordship. Like he entered our hearts to bring salvation and lordship. Now, only time you can get this, guys, I'm going to help you with this. The way you'll feel that burden and really feel what Jesus was going at is when you're really in communion with him. You know, you can't skip a relationship with God. You can't give him five minutes a week and expect to hear what he's saying to you. Make sense? You can't do that. And when you get in communion with God, you discover one thing. Your motives start to change. It's not about what I want. It's about what I want for others. And Jesus came in to Jerusalem. And the reason why he was able to be successful, and the reason why we can tell he's been successful is because we're sitting here today able to celebrate who God is. And I've been spending a week this week, and I talked to a couple of people who are sitting, in, can't even sit in a place like this, who will be killed if they're even seen in a church. And I get an American church, well, I give them five minutes of my time, but I want 100% return. And that's not the motive that Jesus had. He gave 100% so he can receive it back. Make sense? How do you keep your motives pure? Think about the thing you want the most. How do you keep it pure? How do you keep it pure? The folks came in. Jesus came in. And the crowd says, relief, relief. Thy Savior is here. And we see the crowd a lot. The crowd represents those people every Sunday that come up. And they go back to work. Relief, relief. Give me relief. And the other ones, I'll come whenever he gives me what I want. If he doesn't give me what I want, I'm not showing up. If he doesn't alter, if, I don't, if he doesn't alter his plan and fit my plan, forget about it. And then we see those, I want something so bad, I will, I will just pursue you to get it. I want it so bad, I'm going to pursue you to get it. 
I want a house so bad, I'm going to do everything I'm going to pursue you until I get the house. And I know those people, they, get, they, they can't wait to get what they get, and then about a year later, like, I don't know why I want this. But they use Jesus to get what they want, and they disguise it that way. And what's happening is, one of the first points we got to realize, how do we keep um, our motives pure with Christ? Jesus must become your Lord and Savior. Listen to me. Look at me. Don't fall asleep on me. Matthew 21, Jesus came into the very heart of the temple and cleansed the temple. What he was saying is, you know what they were doing in the temple at that time? They were selling things for the sacrifice. People were trying to make a buck off the kingdom of God. He came in. Everybody know what he came in. He overturned the tables. He cleared out all the rubbish. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. When I gave my life to Jesus, he came into my heart. He cleared out all. He's still clearing it out. All the garbage and all the selfishness in me where I want to get ahead and I want to make a name for myself. All those things he's cleared out. He's clearing out of me all the time. Only if I let him. If I don't let him, he's a gentleman. He will not do that. Now, here's the thing. Savior is mentioned two times in the book of Acts, 24 times in the New Testament. Lord, ruler, is mentioned 100 times in Acts and over 622 times in the New Testament. What do you think he was betting on? Lord, Pastor John, can you give me that chair over here? I'm going to put that in the middle. Okay, I got time. What I'm saying is this. They were gathered waiting for the king. And before Jesus, I was sitting on the throne of my life. And Jesus was down here. And when he's just Savior, save me. It's like a book of um, Judges. I'm in trouble, save me. And I repent this time. I really do. I won't do it again. And you go back, save me again, save me again. But I love my position. I won't won't move on my position. Because it's all about me, not him. He's supposed to perform everything I I pray for. I mean, you ever have those prayers? God, how come you, you know how long I've been walking with this thing? You ought to be answering these prayers by now. You ever have prayer like that? Y'all lying, I, I do. God, you know, I've been at this for 12 years. I should have get something out of this. Yeah, Rich, you're on your throne. Now, lordship is a big difference. That's why a lot of times when we talk about the discipleship track and we talk about the next step track, I have to come off the throne. And then Jesus sits on. Come on, John, since you got the beard, brother. And I have to do like Mary, a disciple. Jesus is on the throne. And I'm taking the proper position at, a, at, a, at his feet. So every decision I make comes through him. If he says no, wait, then it doesn't do that. And everything I do. That's why it's weird to be in the kingdom when you're talking about giving. When people don't give, well, you know, well, because you're still on the throne. You don't want to give. Give my time. Well, I, you know, I can't do nothing more than once a month. Pastor John, I'm too busy. Because you know why? You're on your throne. 
You're on your throne. Well, you know, I can't, I can't show up, brother. No. Why? Because you're on your throne. I wish, I'm glad Jesus didn't have excuses walking down to Jerusalem because he had every excuse not to do it. Every excuse not to do it. Thank you. You see the difference? This is where my life is now. And this is the best place. You look like Christ. I'm going to put a halo with the sun be coming out at 1030 on your head. Ooh. Anyway. And this is where I'm at. This is where we all should be at. Christ, Lord and Savior, on our knees, and he is on the throne. We call about this great exchange. Exchange my old broken down selfish nature for his marvelous nature. And everything I do is what he wants me to do, but I enjoy doing it because he didn't have to do what he did for me on the cross. He's got to be your Lord and Savior. Left to my, you know what he really saved me from? Someone says, you know, God's going to judge us one day. You know what judgment is? Can I help you with judgment is? Which that's why you need to uh, witness to people. You know what judgment is? Being left to my own, ju- my own life. That's judgment enough. My own decisions put me in a lot of trouble as it is. That's judgment. Living life without God in the present and then living life without God in the future. That is complete judgment to me. I don't know about you, but that's judgment to me. He's got to be our Lord and our Savior. And everything I build my life upon is what he says, which helps me, the greatest tool he's given me, um, to live this life and to make sure I stay in the right position and the right motives is repentance. You have, you must repent. The other thing we've had, when we ask people to get saved, they come down and and they want to be saved and stay on the throne. Repentance without, salvation without repentance, it's nothing. Now, it doesn't just stop here. It's every day. What does repentance really mean? First, I love repentance because I don't walk around in shame. I love what it says about being refreshed when I do repent. I love when it says, repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that I might be refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Then I'm in the presence of the Lord and he's changing me every day, day by day, hour by hour. But really, no repent means change my mind and accept the will of God. Now, how many know that dangerous prayer in Matthew 6? That your will be done. Not my will, but how many know that is a hard prayer? How many skip over? You go real quick. How many, how many are successful in it every day? Exchanging my will for his will. That's what God's in trouble. Now, his will is a whole lot different. It never lines up with mine. So I had a conversation with God. I said, God, can your will at least get close to mine? I mean, just get a... Just, Get a little closer to mine. He said, no, get out of the chair, Rich. Get out of the chair. So your expectations drive your motives. Which takes me to the last one. What keeps me out of trouble from most of letting him know he's my Lord and Savior, my repentance, his agenda must become my agenda. 
when Jesus in Luke 19, 41 to 44, he came into the city, Jerusalem. It said this, he wept over the city. He wept over the lost people. He wept over the oppression of people. He wept because they had missed the visitation. And he was the visitation. That bugs me. Because I can't remember the last time I wept over the condition of my city. I might have wept because I didn't get the car. I might have wept I didn't get the house I was trying to get. I might have wept on whatever I wanted and I think I didn't get. I have never wept. I've, I wept. But the last time I wept over my city, over Abilene, Texas, over my campus, over Dias Air Force Base, for those who don't know who Christ is. And when I wept, his agenda becomes my agenda. His mission becomes my mission. And what they didn't understand going down, him going down to Jerusalem was this. Luke 19.10, it says this. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. His mission should be my mission. This Easter season, on every season, I need to help people get closer to Jesus. I need to help my neighbors discover Jesus. Now, there was one group in that crowd that was testifying. The group that saw Lazarus raised from the dead. Do you know what the testimony was? Do you know what the witnessing was? Here's what the witness was. We watched a guy who was dead four days. And since he was past four days, we, they, in those days, the spirit left him. So he's not only dead, he was doomed. You know, it's hard to be when you're dead, but then you're doomed. There's no way of raising back up. And we watched a guy take a dead and doomed guy and raise that guy to life. Chapter 11. And then we watched his sister, um, her response to him in the beginning of chapter 12 was at his feet, washing his feet. Now, here's the thing about it. The same testimony that they were testifying, they were, um, they were given, bearing witness with, what does the witness do? Answer questions. When's the last time you shared your witness? Remember, we were, how many know all of us were dead and doomed? We weren't dead. We were doomed. There was no way, no how, no way that we can get through unless God made a way. When's the last time we shared our testimony? I was dead. I was doomed. Even when I came to a church with, with pews, I didn't know who Jesus was. I knew what basketball was. I didn't know who he was. Dead and doomed. And then I have a story. I'm not dead and doomed anymore. I'm going to be with him forever. I, he raised us all up and seated us in heavenly places with him. Isn't that, isn't that better than a Marvel movie? Isn't it better than Tim Tebow giving the uh, explanation on it? Isn't it better if it comes from you? How many neighbors do you have that need to hear that story? 
Not the story about you got a new house. Not the story you got a new car. Not the story I was healed. Not that story. The story that you were dead and now you've been raised to life. The reason why I can celebrate, the reason why I can preach, the reason why I can just turn around and say, because Jesus, I was dead, now I'm doomed, and now I'm alive in him. And I'm off the throne. And he didn't have to do that. I deserve death. You can add that in there too. Swan entry is so amazing. But those three things I told you, unless he's Lord, you'll seek him out like Lord. And you'll do everything he tells you to do. Even when you fail at it, you can repent. But when you're on his agenda, you, don't, you know, everything that I, I pray over and pray for are really byproducts of this life. The very product of my life is to be a witness. The byproduct is everything else. And we've been falling in love with the byproducts and we pursue our lives with the byproduct, but not the product. Reason why I say that, in, Amer- and in Western society, 20% of the people doing all the work. And 80% of the people wait and expect something from God. If they won't get nothing from God, they're not going to do anything. And 10%, well, you know, I only serve until I get something. I don't have time because my time is valuable. My money is valuable. My career is valuable. You wouldn't have a career because you were dead and doomed. And I've watched successful people. In fact, we can look in the newspaper and see all the successful people. Are they happy with the byproduct? No. I love what Proverbs say. You got all you got, you got uh, Ecclesiastic. You got all that money for someone else to take it. I'm living in a house I won't even see go. <laughs> we'll go before the house. His agenda must be my agenda. I must come off the throne of my selfish, exorbed, entitled life and realize why he went that last week for me. So I'll be free so I can help other people see someone walked the line for you. Someone died for you. And he died for me. Now my life is going to be lived through him. And here's the greatest thing about it. He gives me the power to do everything he tells me to do. I can't do it morally. I need the Holy Spirit to empower me to do it. That's one thing about the gospel. With so many, work, work, work. You can't work. You can't do it. Well, unless he empowers you. But if you say, I can't do it because you're not being empowered by the Holy Spirit. What's your motivation this holiday? And this week, watch people flock to a movie. It's a great movie. I can't wait to see it because I like, I like to see things blow up. I'm a guy. It doesn't need a plot. I just need a lot of people blowing up. 
But when's the last time a lot of people flocked to see Jesus? Not in this church, in you. In me. That's the goal. It's a great time. And then when I leave there, it convicts me all the time how much, how far I've got into society about all about me and my wants and my needs. And all of us got some legit needs and wants, but I can't wrap my whole life around that because the greatest thing I do receive is eternal life. That's the one thing I, I don't want to lose. I never want to, I always want to have because eternal life outlasts a house and eternal life outlasts a job. In fact, it outlasts this body. <laughs> but I get a better body. Amen. What's your motivation? What's your motives? What are you expecting from Christ that you already received? Eternal life. You don't have to go far to find out people have no expectation because they don't have no one to look forward to. When you got to look forward to yourself, that's a, that's a bad place to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning. Thank you, Lord. It's good to celebrate. Man. Thank you for your, your amazing, amazing motivation to be us, to set us free. Thank you. It said you set your face like flint to move forward, to go through Jerusalem, to go through all the things you went through. And I know the only time the disciples understood it is after they received the Holy Spirit. Father, let's not be that late. Let's realize now the things that you said and the things that, you, that have been done to you all been for us. Pray for anyone in this house today, God, that our heart be repositioned and softened with the gospel, not harden other things outside the gospel. We praise you and we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.